So what do we do, what Gretchen and I do when we um, retired out of the pastorate? So, you know, what, what we do, we minister to the American church, okay? The 158 million unsaved, unchurched people in the United States. So that makes us either the third or fourth largest mission field in the world, okay? Can you digest that just a minute? Because we have missionaries sent out from this church all over the world, but the United States is either the third or fourth largest mission field. You don't need to learn another language. You pretty much know the culture. So my question is, what are you going to do to reach those people? So our, our goal is to kind of help churches, and we do that several ways. We help churches uh, through church consultation. We help them see the next step of faith they need to take. We, when churches are in transition, we have 20 interim couples that go in. In fact, we got a church today in Massachusetts where the pastor's installed last week. So this is his first Sunday in there. That's a tremendous blessing. We do a podcast and Gretchen does a lot of counseling with pastors' wives and, and we both do that. So anyway, so that's a little bit of what we're doing now. Okay. So, um, this is something called Zoom that has come into being since we started this ministry five years ago. So really what we do now, we can do from Rock Hill just as easy as we can from Clemson. And we've been gone from Rock Hill now five years, and our oldest son, Marshall, who, by the way, uh, came to UBC as a freshman at Clemson, and then that summer, God called him into vocational ministry. So he he then transferred over and got a seminary degree, so he is there. But what I'm trying to say is UBC is very much in our heart as well. I mean, obviously, our heart is in Rock Hill, and now that we can do our ministry from anywhere because of Zoom, it only makes sense now that we've been gone five years and we can go back, but please understand our heart is also here. In fact, as Xander was getting baptized, I think four of our five children were baptized here. You know, so again, just a little bit about our background. So why is UBC? You know, I think we we need to understand in every ministry, we need to go back, or wherever you are, go back and look at some... I don't want to call them sacred places, but maybe some some landmarks and some landmarks with us at UBC. You know, Ducket Funeral Chapel is a landmark for us because that's where we joined University Baptist Church. Lake Hartwell is a landmark for us because that's where I was baptized after um, joining UBC or coming to UBC. The old auditorium, um, which is now the whatever you want to call the stucco building. I, never, I still get confused on what building is what. You know, that's where Gretchen, after Gretchen and I were married in 1981, that's where, where she joined, and this became our first church to worship as a couple. You know, I look at the parking lot. Anybody that you go out in this parking lot, and there was a crew every Wednesday night. There were the Whitwell boys, and there was Monroe Campbell, and there was our boys, and the Millsap boys, you put all those out there on a Wednesday night or Sunday night, and Barry and Ted and, and Justin's probably the lonely survivor in here, which, I mean, those are some ruckus days, I mean, they really were survived, it's amazing, any of them survived, you know, what they did out there, so I mean, the parking lot, Max Drive-In, you know, explain to somebody, so what's Mac Drive-In, it's very important to us, because Mac, I started going to Max Drive-In as a, as a freshman at Clemson. And so when we joined church here, and our kids started growing up, we always had a burden for Mac. Mac Mac has passed away now. So every Wednesday night, after we gathered them in from the parking lot, we'd go over to Max. And all the kids got to buy a candy bar every Wednesday night for Max. To what? To develop that relationship with him. So, I mean, you know, just everything here. You look at the, you know, the missions conference here. It was through the missions conference here at University of Baptist Church 
that were Gretchen and I said, okay, we want to make sure we're in the middle of God's will. So we would take that week every year and say, okay, Lord, are we where we need to be? Because I love the business world, but at 35, as, as Joseph was talking about, God put a holy unrest in our hearts. I remember the first time I had that, I went to Dr. Dunn, and he said this, just be ready to go and ready to stay. You know, I said, that's oh, not the answer I wanted. I wanted a yes or no. No, be ready to go, ready to stay. So that kind of helped settle our hearts. And then when God did call us to preach, uh, we went. And again, the old auditorium, uh, I preached Isaiah 41 there after God had called me to preach. And, and so that was middle, I mean, just in, in the middle room in the old building. That's where most of you, you ordained us into ministry. And some of you laid hands on us and sent us out back in 1996 on this front row when we couldn't decide. So the Harvest Baptist Church was planted by University Baptist Church years ago. And then Pastor Sin asked us to go up, and, and we did. And right there, I remember a Wednesday night, Bert Cameron and I prayed right there. He said, do you think it's God's will for you to go? I said, Bert, we don't have any other choice. I mean, well, there's nowhere else to go. You know, nobody wanted us, so off we go. So it was right there that we kind of said, okay, that's what we're going to do. So um, so then, you know, this in 2017 was kind of our second coming or the next chapter, so thanks for having us. And Pastor, a lot has taken place. I mean, you know, you, you look at last five years and, you know, with the eye being removed and Pastor Cook was there at every single surgery, every surgery, those five surgeries we had. Early in the morning, Pastor Cook was always there, so we thank you. So anyway, that's that's kind of how we are, are. And, you know, many of you don't even know the history of Harvest, where we're going back to. But please come and visit because it is, I mean, your roots are there. So just please come up and enjoy those blessings uh, of doing that. So when you do that and you think of, so as, as I'm just meditating on, on, on today and what to bring to you, you know, there's certain, if we can look at snapshots of time in our spiritual life, that's just kind of what I did. So what I want you to think about, okay, so what, what, what is the next year in your spiritual life going to look like? What, what's the next five years going to look like? What about the next 10? Well, you know, if you look at this passage this morning in 1 Thessalonians 4, and then notice the passage that Joseph read was the entire chapter. And again, if you look at 1 Thessalonians 4, the way it's kind of laid out, we always hear verses 3 through 8 preached on, you know, the, the, the purity of, of our sexual life. And then you hear the end of the chapter always preached, what, at every funeral? Take comfort, okay? But there's a little nugget right there in the middle that I'm convinced that if you study this out, you will see, you really can see where your life is going to be in the next five years. You can see where it's going to be in the next ten years. And so really where I want to go with this, if you can put this on the screen, I read this quote which I thought was very good. First Isaiah 61, it says this, that uh, we up there yet? Let me know when you get it. I guess it'll come up. There we go. So Isaiah 61 says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those that are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant all those who mourn in Zion, to give them beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. So God does all this in our lives. These are the promises. Notice says, for what reason? That they may be called what? Say it with me. Oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. 
And I read this quote that I think I want to start the sermon with before we look at our passage. It comes from Tripp's book on, about spiritual leadership. It's called Lead. And notice what he says here. So every ministry leadership community should value the plan for what? Longevity. Okay, so where are we going to be in two years, five years, 20 years? Which means every ministry leadership community must value and plan for spiritual maturity. Every leader needs to continue to mature so he can stand strong in the gust of wind, driving rain, and cold snows of ministry. No leader should be considered as mature as he or she needs to be. No one. Every leader should long to last and know that spiritual maturity is the key to lasting long. Every leadership community should be clear that giftedness is not the same as spiritual maturity. Biblical literacy is not the same as spiritual maturity. We need to be clear that theological acumens are not the same as spiritual maturity. Ministry success is not the same as spiritual maturity. Popularity is not the same as spiritual maturity. Strategic insight is not the same as spiritual maturity. God is working to produce what? Oaks of righteousness. So every leadership community should be working to produce the same in each of its members. So as the leadership of University Baptist Church or any Bible-believing church strives to produce longevity in ministry, faithful to Jesus Christ, faithful to his word, it starts at salvation, beautiful baptism, thank you, Xander, followed by baptism, church membership, and then being challenged to grow and change. So now let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4. So what do we do with all this? I think, as I mentioned, there's still more room, as the title of the sermon outline in your bulletin, because in between that part on sexual, I mean, sexual purity and the part most funerals use at the end, we have these nuggets starting in verse 9. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, the region where Thessalonica was. But we urge you, brothers, this do how? More and more. The way longevity takes place. More and more. We cannot stop. So then go into this. Verse 11. And to aspire. Key word here before we pray. So what does this word aspire mean? It means to earnestly seek something, implying strong ambition for some goal. So what you are aspiring to is where you're going to be in five years. Whatever you're aspiring to today is going to lead you next year, two years, and whatever you're aspiring to will take you 20 years out. And I think the beauty of God's word, it only tells us why we do what we do, but tells us how to do it. And really, the spiritual life is not that complicated. It's not. It's not some mystery that God doesn't want you to know. So what what we'll just lay out here are three very simple things that God says, if you aspire this, there are going to be some results. So let's read on in verse 9, I mean uh, verse 11, then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. And that you aspire, you set it as your passion. This is your goal to do three things. The first is to live quietly. The second is to mind your own affairs. And the third is to work with your, with your hands. So again, this is what, the, this is what they're saying here. If you simply set this as your goal, 
This is how longevity, more and more, you aspire to do these three things, it will have a great impact. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the beautiful picture of baptism that we saw this morning. I thank you now that as we look into your word, Father, we can think of our lives not only today, but, Father, where our desires today will take us. So, Father, help us concentrate upon your word. We thank you for the blessings of being in a Bible-believing church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what are you aspiring to? Again, I, I just think there, there are three very simple things as laid out here. The first one is to live quietly, live a quiet life. So what is that? It's a settled life. Okay, simply a settled life. I love this word. It's a good theological word, R-E-S-T, resting. Okay, come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. So you're resting in two things, the timing of God and the power of God. Okay, so we're we're here living this subtle life. So I'm aspiring here to live this life quietly. I'm aspiring here not to live in the state of drama. I'm aspiring here to devote extra time and energy to do whatever I need to do to live a settled life. This should be your norm. Now, are there different seasons of life? Absolutely. Just look at those around you. You got all, you got uh, families with children. You got families not married yet. They're about to enter into that. You got families expecting children. You got people at our age. They're empty nesters. So every season of life brings you unique challenges. But at the same time, with every season of life, I can live this, this desire to have a quiet, settled life. Are the distractions. Yeah, many distractions are going to come into your life. But notice what Second Thessalonians 3.12 says. Now those we command and exhort you through the Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness. They will work this subtle life. First Timothy 2.2 says that we live a quiet and peaceable life. So we got to understand, so what is this? I like to think in opposites. Many times the scriptures does that. Ephesians 4 tells us to put off one thing and renew our mind and put on another. So I think the opposite of this would be a life of drama. Okay? Now, so what, what, what generates that life of drama? A lot of it does. Social media does. Talk radio does. All these, we live in a collegiate sports nuts world, which I love, but at the same time, it's drama. Who are we recruiting? How is that going? You know, and you live in all this, it brings out drama, but we got to understand is that whatever we're doing, we need to make sure that we're living this quiet life. We need to make sure that social media is not driving us. I have a friend that studies social media, and he says this, if you notice... A perceived crisis, whether it's real or not, on social media lasts two days. And, and people that are living this life, they got to create another drama two days later, right? And then something else two days later. That's the opposite of what Paul is telling us to do to live a quiet life. So I remind you, what is distracting you from a quiet life? My wife and I love to walk in the mornings. We got a good walk in this morning to pray and just think on God's goodness. And But there was a season there for two years. We had our youngest son's dog, whose name is Bailey. Bailey's gone to dog heaven or wherever they go, okay, but Bailey's no longer with us. But, you know, there's a big difference between walking with just Gretchen and walking with Gretchen and Bailey, right? Why? 
you think about how do dogs do. They sniff every corner, every mailbox. You with me? They have to stop, stop, stop. That is a distracted life. It drives me crazy. And I love Bailey, but it drove me crazy to walk with Bailey because Bailey got so distracted. So think about your own life. Again, look what it said to do. Number one, aspire. Your earnest passions got to what? A quiet life, a subtle life. So what's distracting you this morning coming into the Lord's day to worship God? What is it? That quiet life. Secondly, what else are we supposed to do? Kind of a sassy word here, to mind your own affairs, to mind your own business. So what does that mean? Well, it can mean two things, to stay out of other people's business, but also means to keep your own business in order. Okay, so you look at this. Proverbs twenty-five seventeen says, seldom set foot in your neighbor's home. Why? You don't want to be, a, 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 you, you, you mind your own business. Don't go around attempting to be everyone's personal counselor. Stay within what God's called you to do and concentrate on your life pleasing God. That settled life. And the second thing is this life of minding your own business. My life should never be interwoven with uh, someone closer than I am with my spouse. Any, anything that's going on that is preventing you from minding your own business, running into someone else's business all the time, you have a problem. And God says that's not what you're to be doing. And we understand when Paul writes this, he writes this, so this must have been a problem within the church at the time he wrote this. So what do we know? We do know Galatians 6, starting in verse 1, tells us how to be involved in other people's lives within the church. Galatians 6, 1, that if someone is overtaken and snared in a sin or a fall, you who are spiritual go and restore that person. And Galatians 6, 2 says, okay, there are burdens that we must help each other carry. Galatians 6, 2 tells us that we are to shoulder up other people's burdens, but then Galatians 6, 5 says you're to bear your own burdens. Okay, so this doesn't mean that you isolate yourself by minding your own business, but you've got to stay within where God has called you and not sow discord about others within the church. Keep your relationships, mind your own business where they need to be. And as you do this, you will grow and the church will grow. This minding your own business, I'll wrap it up, this really just means whatever biblical responsibilities you have at this point in life, father, grandfather, pastor, mother, teacher, whatever that is, you take care of those responsibilities. You trust God that he'll give you the grace to carry out those responsibilities in whatever role you are filling today. And as you do that, in five years, you'll still be pleasing Christ. So you are to live this quiet life, and you're to mind your own business. You're not getting into solving everyone else's problems. Now, again, take a deep breath here, because I'm, this is big confession time. All right, so what Gretchen and I do, you know, we travel to a lot of churches. And they say, okay, what do you do? What do you see? What's our next step of faith? And so what do I do? I put on my what my fix-it hat, right? And we do a lot of marriage counseling, and I put on my fix-it hat. And you put on, because what I want to do, I just want to tell you, you need to do this, 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 and this. So my wife has got this favorite phrase, she reminds me. The Trinity is doing just fine. There's not an open seat on the Trinity. 
God the Father is ruling just fine. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, they're all doing fine. Don't try to play God. Because sometimes we get in that mode. At least I do. So what they're saying, mind your own business, understand what God has called me to do and do that well. That settle life. Staying within the biblical responsibilities as a church member of what you're to do. As a believer, what you're to do. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Folks, it gets hard. What's our third thing that we are to aspire? We are to make our passion, our goals, because where we invest our time means something. So what is this last one? It says this, to work with your own hands. As we instructed you. So there's a cultural thing going on here. Really part of it is the Greeks versus the Jews. So the Greeks were philosophers. They thought manual labor was below them. How did the Jews conduct life? It was just the opposite. They thought a young man should be mentored. A young man should learn a skill. And in doing so, as young men could could learn a skill to provide for their families, they had to humble themselves and be taught by somebody. So in this humility, this teachability is what's being taught here. So you are to be teachable. This humility sets up a good work habit. I remind you that God told Adam to work before the fall, not after the fall. So this work is a good thing. About working, providing your family, you're, you're, you're not becoming a burden to others. It's a good thing to work with your own hands. It's a good thing to learn how to do this. It's a good thing to be mentored as a young man to know what you're to do as a Christian. So there's a lot going on with this one passage. So my question is, how teachable are you? Now notice if you go back up to verse 2 in 1 Thessalonians 4, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So we understand that we're taught by man. But if you also drop down to verse 9, we understand that you've been taught by God. So within the Christian community, there is an instruction by man, but there's also an instruction by God. My question is, how teachable are you? How are you demonstrating this approachability or this teachableness if I can use that now many years ago as we were transitioning out of Rock Hill there's a plan in place that um, Marshall would come along and be like I would mentor him for like two years and we would we would call in a, a new youth guy to come and take his spot so it give us a season of about 24 months of having more hands on deck to get the transition done and so we had five men that we really wanted to to talk to that had applied for the job. And so, you know, we set up uh, an interview and we, we talked to them and their wives. It immediately went down to three and then it went down to one. And so, you know, you know what you get the pleasure to do as a senior pastor. You get to call these other four and say, by the way, we're pursuing somebody else. Are those hard calls? Sure they are. All right, so here's the deal. I call four. And one, one young man said this. He said, uh, Pastor Fant, can I ask you a question? And, you know, you're ready for, say, you know, how in the world could you not accept me, right? How in the world did you not think I was good enough? And this is what it said. He said, can we set up a separate call and maybe you could tell me how I can be better prepared so when another church does call me? All right, now, folks, think about that. 
Here's a guy that was just rejected from a job offer, or not a job, but potential. And what did he say? He said, can you teach me? Help me understand. So I said, sure. So we did. And about every year, this young man calls me and he said, hey, here's where I am now. What do you think? Now, folks, that's teachability. That's somebody worth investing in. My question to you, are you worth investing in? Are you showing a teachable spirit? What are you aspiring to do? Because if you are, boy, how this affects us so much. As a church consultant or whatever, I don't like that word, but that's a word that's thrown out there. So I get invited to different kind of consulting things, right? And there was one, you know, hosted in the greater Greenville area, and it's called Coach the Coach. All right, so I said, okay, I'll go see what the world says about helping people and see what they say. All right, now notice, one of the things you go through, one way they measured success in their world was by the number of weeks of vacation they could get off from working. So they get, so when your practice gets to this point, you should be at four weeks by, by this time, and by this time you ought to be having at least 12, 14 weeks off. That was their gauge of success. You follow me? What is the gauge of success here? Folks, two things. As long as God gives you help and opportunity, you need to be working all you can work to please him. You with me? Two things. Help and opportunity. So here it says, you know, you should make these things your ambition. Again, very three simple things to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your own hand. But look at verse 12. For what reason? There is a result of these three things that if you aspire to do that as a believer and then as a church, what's going to happen? So that you may walk properly before outsiders. So you are a good testimony to unbelievers. That's what this is saying. Okay, you do this. So why do we do these three things? So as believers, you will be a good testimony to those who are outside the faith. What have you been called to do? Matthew 4, 19, Mark 1, 17, both say this, that you, Christ said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We know from Matthew 28 that you are to be a disciple of Christ, to make disciples in everything we do. The church has been called to do that. So in the context of what's going on here, are you being salt and light by following these three things, aspiring, making these three things your goal, and in doing so, Paul says you will have a proper testimony to those outside. So how is your salt and light working? Are you living the subtle life? Are you minding your own business? Are you working with your own hands? One of the pastors I like to read just on church administration is a guy named Gary McIntosh and McIntosh put out this this stat in uh, when was this 2016 and uh, according to his studies almost 60% of the people that came to faith in Christ came from one of two things a relationship with a family member or a close relationship with somebody at work you with me almost 60% came to Christ because of observing and knowing and relationships. All right, so if you are aspiring these three things, let me ask you this right now. Just just walk through a mental exercise with me. Think of five unsafe people in your life right now. 
Just think through that. What about three? Can you write down three? All right, if you got three, let's just go to one. So who can you pray for right now? And then can you just say this? Or, or let's, just, let's go long in. By the time you die, can you reproduce yourself in Christ one time? Just one time. That's all I ask, one time. Could you? Will you? Because I'm saying according to this passage, all you got to do is three, three, these three things. It's going to impact those that are watching. So can you make it your goal to live out these three things? And as a result of that, just one life reproduced in Christ. When you start thinking that way, it starts to hit home. Okay. Are we, by your testimony, by these three things, are you reaching unbelievers? And the last part of the verse says this, you also be a blessing to believers. Notice what it says. End of verse 12. And be dependent on no one. That you lack nothing. That you'll not be a burden to others. That you can be a blessing to others. See, the beauty, all right, so listen carefully. There's a beauty of the local church of an interdependence. Corinthians tells us you all are gifted in different areas. You put me back in the technology booth today, be in trouble. You had me leading music today, you really would be in trouble. So what I'm saying is God has gifted each of you. Once you're saved, the Spirit of God dwells in you. He gives you gifts in order to minister within the local church to reach outside the church. So i got to ask you now, you've been given a gift. So this interdependence of the body of Christ. How are you being used? Are you a blessing or are you a burden? I laugh when I tell this story because when you hear it, you'll chuckle. But uh, the world of pastoring can bring many opportunities for many different things, okay? So I had this couple come one Sunday, and, and we greeted them, and he introduced himself. said, by the way, I'm from my pastor. We're, we're moving to the area. So it's in Rock Hill. We're moving to the area, and we're leaving this church, uh, you know, several states away. And my pastor says he knows you. So who has told me? I said, oh, yeah, you know him well. He said, okay. He said, um, he said to be sure for you to give him a call when we come. I said, okay, that's a little unique, not, you know, not. Too bad, but, you know, you don't know. So I called him. I said, hey, so-and-so visited. He said, great. I said, tell me, so why, why did they want me to call you? He said, I'll give you three words. Much grace needed. <laughs> I said, brother, I'm not sure I understand. He said, oh, no, you will. <laughs> Much grace needed as you try to love and care for this family. Boy, was he right. Okay, you follow me? All right, so how are you known within the church? Are you known as one that is, oh boy, much grace needed, or are you being a blessing to others? That's what, because if folks, if you do these three things that are laid out here, to live the quiet life, to mind your own business, right, and to work with your own hands, as you carry these responsibilities out, you'll be a great testimony to those outside the church, but you also be a great blessing to those in the church. 
So how can you, what do you need to do this morning in order to be a blessing both to those you worship with as well as those outside the church? Live the quiet, settled, restful life to mind your own business. To work with your own hands. Remember, all this goes back to verse 1. Finally, then, brothers, we, ur- we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you received how you ought to walk and to please God. All this is being done by pleasing God. That's our goal. And as we aspire, as we make it our goal. But, folks, you cannot please God unless first you personally know God and that comes through a personal faith not in the church but in the Lord Jesus Christ close to this illustration this past week we were on vacation at the beach and with our family and all of you have done it and you know but there's a there's a thing that really is I love about the beach it it just it just shouts of the glory of the creation so the year was 1977 and I just graduated high school, and a lot of my friends were headed to, we're going to college, right? And so as we, we had one last shindig, one last party in North Myrtle Beach together. Okay, so as we did, we all went down. I never liked bars much. I went in them, and, you know, and so I got fed up with the scene. And I walked out of the bar just in disgust on a Saturday night. I walked down the beach. There was a full moon over the ocean. Stars were everywhere and just the sound that quietness for the first time in my life I said man I it scared me to death right you're leaving the comfort high school you're going to college and the first time I looked into the, the majesty of God's creation and I said I don't know what life is about I reflect back on that because there's a verse in scripture Psalm 19 1 and 2 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So I go home that Sunday. Monday I pack up and come to Clemson. I move in. Johnson dorm, which is torn down now, room E-232, and there's a knock on my door. This guy said, hey, I'd like to invite you to a Bible study. I said, I appreciate that. I don't need to come. He said, well, why not? I said, well, I go home and teach Sunday school every Sunday. He said, great. He said, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. I said, if you die today, you know you go to heaven. I said, certainly do. He said, that's great. Can I ask you how and why? I said, yeah, because God's a perfect judge. And I know that my sins and my works, and I know my works will outweigh my sin. I firmly believe that God, that's, that's, that's I, I know, because my good works are going to outweigh my sin. All right, now, young people, that is wrong. Okay, I'm just, I'm, okay. But I'm sitting there, and this, all right, so what I'm trying to say is, I just saw the majesty of God, right, for the, really the first time, which set my heart, and we know this, that no man can come into me unless the Father who sent me draw him, right? So God is using God's creation to draw me. And then the next week, a messenger comes and knocks on my door and gives me the message. And he went on, he was so patient, he said this, I know why you might think that. But is that in the Bible? confident of course it is of course it's in the bible that my 
good works outweigh my sin. Has to be, right? The right messenger with the right message. He simply said, well, I know why you might think that, but this is eternity you were talking about, and you need to find out for sure. Now, remember on Saturday night, I realized I had no idea what life was about. On Monday, in God's sovereignty and in his love for me, he sent somebody to talk to me about just questioning my salvation. That's all he did. And that sent me on a search from August of 77 until the spring of 78, where in desperation I cried out. I read John 3.16 aloud and cried out for God to save me. Lord, I believe. I know it's not by my works. So what I'm trying to say is, most of this sermon was dealing with, as a believer, what you must do. But the only reason we can do this is what's already been done for you. So please understand, my challenge is, first, to please God, the very first step is to make sure the object of my faith is the death for Christ. He died for my sins, was buried and rose again. So the object of my faith must be the finished work of Jesus Christ, what he did for me. Once I know I'm saved, and this is then, so the passage I was reading to you this morning is really, okay, now that you're saved, how do you please God? And folks, I really believe, again, snapshots to wrap it up. So we're going away, and let's say, let's say we don't see each other in five years. And if you come up to me and you can say, well, how are you doing? Spiritually, you almost can tell how I'm doing by what I am aspiring to do. Verse 11. Because, see, the next time we see each other, if I'm still making my goal, my passion, to please Christ by doing these three things, things are well. What we place our heart on to do makes a difference. So I want you to understand my goal as a believer in Christ is to do these three things so the next time I pass cross, you say, how you doing? By God's grace, I'm pleasing God. The future of whatever church you're in, the future of University of Baptist Church lies within each member. The health of the church isn't on simply the elders. Now, are they to lead? Yeah, we read that. We got that. And they're to set a state so you can grow in Christ. But the health of this church in one year and two years and five years and ten years and twenty years is based upon your spiritual health as you live out these verses. So where, what do you need to do here? Because the state of this church is dependent upon your spiritual state. So where do you need to change? Will you commit to live these things out why? So that you may be a great testimony to those without, and so that you'll not be a burden, but you'll be a blessing to those that are within. And as we close in prayer, and I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Cook, I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you just pray and write down one person in your life right now? God, by your grace, I want to be a great testimony to them, and by your grace, I want to see them come to Christ. And you know the mission of the church, not just come to Christ, but what? Christ-likeness. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of studying your word together. So, Father, I do thank you for this opportunity. And, Father, we pray as we seek you out in our personal lives 
that we would not forget that our lives are interdependent upon those others in the church. May we be a blessing to those within.